0: The following program contains views and opinions that do not necessarily reflect those of KMRE staff or of the Spark Museum of Electrical Invention.
1: I don't want to spend
2: each of these briefings talking about misinformation.
1: I'm going to keep fighting as hard as I can. And I encourage everyone who's listening and watching right now to continue making their voices heard. The challenge is never in the intent and our compassion and and the, the need we're trying to address. The challenge is always in the execution. There is
3: a growing fear, I think, in this country that we are moving toward uh, what some would call an oligarchic form of society.
4: But I do think Mexico will ultimately pay for it, and it's going to help both countries.
0: Simply put, this is un-American and unconstitutional.
2: This American carnage stops right here and stops right
4: now. Welcome to the American Carnage Report. I'm your host, Dave Willingham, and today I'm joined by Robert Lashley, Marissa McGrath, Mike Estes, Devlin Sweeney, and I want to start off on a quick note. Our brothers and sisters in Puerto Rico are as American as you and me in every way except basic human rights. You can support them in their hour of need by giving money to UNIDOS, a project by the Hispanic Federation, by texting 4144 with the message UNIDOS, U-N-I-D-O-S, a dollar amount in a numerical form and your name. Direct Relief uh, out of California is also working across the Caribbean and in Mexico following the massive earthquakes there, and you can donate and learn more at directrelief.org. I'm going to start off this week by marking the passage of Edie Windsor, who passed away on Tuesday, September 12th at 88. Her fight for federal recognition of her marriage resulted in the Supreme Court striking down Section 3 of the Defense of Marriage Act. Which had defined marriage as being between one man and one woman at the federal
1: level. It's just an important occasion to mark, and um, Edie Windsor um, is a is a really fascinating figure. Um, she was a full blood New Yorker. She had been out in private circles, um, but also moneyed, and so had her partner for uh, many years. She was um, described by people in her life as being a real romantic, um, and I think she is an example of someone who, you know, up until her late 70s, really romanticized the idea of actually getting to have a real wedding with her partner, um, and did so in in Canada. And um, a lot of people initially didn't want to take her a lot of lawyers didn't want to take her case early on. um, Because they said they cited things like she might be too old and and she might die, but also because the thing that she was arguing for was considered to be like not that sympathetic. She wanted to be able to use the as a as a married citizen of the United States. She wanted to be able to get tax breaks for her. Um, oh, what's it called when you get uh, her inheritance tax?
0: Oh, uh, so there. The ability to uh, shield some of your inheritance from taxes. There's also right. uh, when you're married with someone, there's a deduction that you get. Right. And uh, there's it usually comes into play with joint property right. and seeding assets between couples. Right. It doesn't really
1: make sense to be taxed on money that you have all together owned for, in her case, like 40 years. Um,
0: Although I will point out that is a U.S. concept; those yeah. other countries don't have the joining of uh, of legal entities for tax purposes. Right. Other countries just keep them separate, and you can be with whoever you want, and that right. doesn't affect your taxes.
1: Right. My my mm-hmm. husband, as I now call him, <laughs> um, he uh, was from Britain, mm-hmm. and he was he, his argument when when because we were married right around the time that um, in uh, two thousand and eight, when a lot of this conversation was happening around gay marriage, and he said, you know what, what we really should do is just get rid of the idea of civil marriage. You <laughs> Like if, if America really wants to be full of a bunch of independent people who are just independent, independently wealthy from each other, and they really, really believe in equality in that sort of way, then they should just, we just don't have any marriage, civil marriage at all. You guys can all get married in your churches, but not that. Anyway... This is often how these sorts of cases are won. You find some kind of weird technicality within a law, and you challenge it. And the ACLU um, loves these sorts of cases, and so they supported her. Um, This is just all sort of a reminder for things that, I mean, the news happens so fast nowadays, I think we forget these things. But my... I will always remember Edie Windsor, um, leaving the courthouse with her bright pink scarf on and this just radiant glow and realizing that there were people and being physically near people who got to feel the, f- for the first time and understand the full equality, um, that came with, um, the choice that the Windsor decision for the Supreme Court that um, we get to we get to gay marry now if we want to. (laughs) You can gay marry anyone you want.
0: (laughs) And and they kind of permanently put the issue outside of the reach of Congress. Mm -hmm. But by the way, they did that through the court case. They made it very, very hard short of like a constitutional amendment for Congress ever to undo uh, what Edie did. Yes. And
4: uh, and another note, not only was she a Passionate activist and uh, and icon and uh, like you said, you know, out in a in a w- in a time when that was a provocative political act. She was also a senior systems architect at IBM. Right. At a time when that was really, really hard. Yes. And uh, expert mathematician. And we are poorer for having lost her. Yeah.
1: But better for having had her.
4: Uh, I want to take a, take a trip overseas, uh, happening now as we are recording, uh, German elections are underway. Uh, it looks very much at this hour like uh, the Christian Democratic Union has taken a plurality of votes. It's Germany. Nobody gets a majority. Um, I want to talk a little bit about their system because it's amazing. So their parliament, the Bundestag, has 598 members, but not really. And half of those are directly elected, and half of those are determined by proportional voting. So every German voter gets a ballot that has two columns on it. And on one, you vote for your local person. Mm -hmm. And on the other, you vote for the party that you think best represents you. And a lot of people split. Mm -hmm. So when Mm -hmm. the votes are tabulated, the proportion of half of the Bundestag is set by that proportional voting Mm -hmm. with lists of candidates that are selected by the parties at their local conventions that determine what order people will be seated in. And there's overflow room in case people are directly elected, but they didn't get enough votes to have that seat by the proportional voting. The German system looks a lot like the American system, but in kind of an alternate universe way. They have a president, president signs laws, issues pardons, has no real power. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, there was some Concerned this year that uh, uh, the Alternative for Germany party, which is their far-right anti-immigration party, was going to uh, take power. They looked kind of scary for a while, but have since fallen dramatically out of favor. Yes,
0: but you saw the other two parties kind of shift rightward, didn't you?
4: Some, the the CDU did... uh, Sorry,
0: can you read off what the CDU is and give us a brief description Mm -hmm. on it?
4: The Christian Democratic Union is the current ruling party, and Angela Merkel is the leader of that party. And they uh, and their sister party, the Christian Social Union, um, have been in power for many years now. And initially, when the refugee crises really started to kick into gear after the Arab Spring, they agreed to take upwards of a million refugees. And that was a really controversial and dramatic thing. It is still Shaking out how that's going to how that's going to affect Germany long term. but uh, 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 they have more recently in order to uh, deflect some of the attacks from the alternative for Germany and kind of eased off that a little bit. They're working with Turkey to take refugees and kind of intercept them and keep them there and they're working to repatriate some people. They're still one of the best places if you are a refugee to wind up. Even if you are refused refugee status and told you have to leave Germany, nobody comes looking for you. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people simply stay and wind up living and working there. So, yeah, they did take a little bit of a shift, but uh, it's not as dramatic as we would see if the Alternative
1: for Germany won. But they're expected and, to get quite a few seats in the parliament, aren't they, the well, Alternative right, for Germany?
4: Right now, they're it's looking like they're at about 13 to
1: 14%. You have to have a minimum of 5% in order to be be represented in the government at all, right?
4: Well, to get proportional seating. If you're directly elected, you still get to sit, even if your party didn't get enough votes.
0: Right. You you could get a couple people in the door, but not enough to help.
1: Yeah, I guess it's sort of like 13% fascist to still any percent fascist, which is concerning. But For anybody, but in Germany in particular, I think, is wigging out a little bit right now, if you're a, a normal citizen. <laughs>
0: but the gr- yeah. the uh, Green Party of Germany made some good headway, too, didn't they? They increased their population, and so did the—I was looking at more of the progressive side of Germany also yeah. seemed to make pretty big headway.
4: Yeah, there was, there was a real uh, uh, fear of a red-red-green government mm-hmm. early in the year, where that would be the Green Party— the Social Democrats, which are the center-left party, and uh, uh, Die Linke, which is kind of loosely uh, descended from the old East German Communist Party, mm. uh, and the the idea if they could between them get fifty percent, they could control the government. And mm-hmm. nobody knows what that would quite look like because CDU's been in power for <laughs> as long Forever. as most people can remember.
1: Right back when all germans were christian apparently that's yeah. interesting th- to think about having a political party to the two major political parties being having christian at the beginning of their as i've been reading this it's kind of like huh because i've never met a german person that felt very religious <laughs> um and it's yeah it feels a little old school
2: i wanted to touch back on the the election process stuff uh you mentioned at the beginning so so half people are directly elected and, and the other half um through the proportional system um it's it's sort of people that were selected by the local party organizations, and if if the that area needs to add one person to match the proportional, they're not directly elected. They're coming um, through. Like, do you they, know much about kind of like
0: super delegates? For well, lack of a better I word. mean, because here
2: here are local parties like they they pass along their their information, but they don't really do much. Uh, even here in Washington, we don't we don't even do the nominations anymore, and so like the local parties. Besides their endorsement and marketing, don't really have much direct control of who ends up being elected?
4: Yeah, in this case, there is a system that's kind of like ours where there's local conventions to national conventions. And in that process, lists are built that have the people that will be selected in what order based on their proportional allotment. And, you know, a lot of those people are also candidates, you know, and it's kind of their fallback plan. Um, But uh, uh, it's also community activists, people who, um,
1: people who are hard to elect, right? Like people, people who are, are, elect- are like objectively really good at what mm-hmm. they do, but they might have a really funny thing on their face or like they might not <laughs> like no, but honestly, like someone who as Americans, we would not see as like a politician type, you know, which is one of the real benefits of a system like this. It's people within a party go, look, this guy might be hard to elect, but he would be absolutely perfect for what our needs and our strategies are as a party. am I right? I mean, right. That's, part that's, of
4: the- that's it. And also people who are sharing a locality that are all good, but only one of them can be directly elected. Like if you look at, you know, here in Washington, the seventh district, if you're a democratic liberal, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a goldmine. There's a lot of people there that you would like to see with some degree of power, but Mm -hmm. you get one. Right. You know, here in Whatcom County, we've got a uh, uh, county council race between two candidates who would, a lot of people in the district would say, both of them are great. And this is an opportunity for people that are kind of packed in together to all get to serve.
1: Right. That's really interesting. Um, this is all making me think about Icelandic politics. And I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to like pre-move on, but I'm so excited to talk about Iceland. Um, I don't want to rush us. But this, uh, some of the, of course, German politics sort of are similar to Icelandic politics in a lot of ways. They're both European countries. Um Icelanders are Vikings and not um, Germanic. I just want to make that really clear. Um, <laughs> and, but so they're good um, people. They're, they're, they're awesome. Um, and so as, a, as a, my dad is from Iceland, and I was raised um, w- around Icelandic culture. Um, he's actually technically my stepdad, but he paid for my braces, so I call him my dad. And um, <laughs> he, um, so I'm like, you know, uh, Icelandic by association. But um, there, there's some similarities in that uh, you know they have a they have a state religion it's Lutheranism that nobody cares about and participates in really at all, um, and they also have this kind of more parliamentary style. And actually, the oldest form of parliament in the in the entire world was founded in the Thingvellir in Iceland. And I'm happy to pronounce all the Icelandic names for you today. Fantastic. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> One last thing on Germany. Yeah, yeah. The the system is tremendously complicated and. Part of, part of the reason they have the system that they do is because they had very bad systems in the past. In the immediate post-World War I period, there was a long time where you could be a really informed and engaged person and have no idea who was in power mm-hmm. because governments kept collapsing and collapsing and collapsing. And then a government came in that was able to be stable for a while because they mortgaged a lot of their state assets uh, to American banks. Which worked really well until nineteen twenty nine when the well, stock market yeah. collapsed. And once the election is done, we're going to have to wait a couple of days because there's a lot of mathematical processes to determine who gets what seats. And
1: uh, I love that you're 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 depicting that as like having to wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're with bated breath. Dave I'm very excited waiting. about yeah. this. Yeah. Well,
0: it, it was, it's just kind of hard to imagine because I think Americans are so accustomed to the idea that all of your answers will be answered in the next three days following the election. Right. Like the idea that you would have to wait a couple weeks to find out who won is like unheard of.
2: Well, we get impatient if we don't have an answer the same night. Right. Yeah. We usually do in most cases
0: have a mm, clear picture of in, the answer. Especially with
1: mail-in ballots in Washington mm-hmm. State.
0: There's, you know, okay, a whole okay, bunch of okay, people okay. crowding around a computer, <laughs> pounding the refresh button.
1: Iceland. Let's talk about All Iceland. Right.
4: <laughs> so, snap elections have been called in Iceland after their parliamentary majority collapsed. On wait, septem-
0: wait, back up. Snap elections. Snap
4: elections. Okay. So a feature of <laughs> parliamentary governments is that sometimes you have to have elections right away because the ruling coalition falls apart, which is what happened in Iceland mm-hmm. when the Independence Party, the Reform Party and Bright Future broke up in uh, following the uh, scandal around the restored honor of a man convicted of raping his stepdaughter almost every day for 12 years and in Mm -hmm. Iceland like the United States if you're convicted of a serious crime you lose some of your civil rights and you can have those restored by a process that's you know starts with you have to get three letters of recommendation from people in good standing Mm -hmm. and they are reviewed by the Ministry of Justice and they make the determination as to whether or not you have learned your lesson. And it was revealed that the father of the current prime minister had sent one of those letters for this, this man who had been convicted of that act. And uh, uh, it was revealed that the Ministry of Justice and many Independence Party members of parliament had worked pretty hard to keep it quiet.
1: So uh, Benedict Saintsson is the name of the dad of And this, is, this will also be interesting Of um, Bjarni son. Does that make sense? Benedict <laughs> has a son So his last name is Um Is, is there <laughs> treachery involved in this? Because I, I've got a tall tie-in for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't know who Benedict Arnold is um, But the... Uh, so what this is sort of revealing about Icelandic politics is something that uh, normal Icelandic people, which is most, vastly most people, is a socialist country. So there isn't a lot of wealth disparity. But what it's revealing is something that Icelandic people have no tolerance for, um, which is that um, people with a certain certain political standing are more likely to get these um, Pardons—not really a full pardon, but this is reinstatement of some of their rights. So, for example, this would be like in America if you committed a federal crime, but if um, you, someone could write a letter to the U.S. government and say, "Hey, um, he's real great. Uh, he should be able to vote now," and and it would just supersede. And, and those rules
0: kind of see that in regards to people who go to jail who come out typically in the U.S. If you are wealthy and you can afford a lawyer over time, you can get your voting rights back
1: right. or you
4: Where, live in a decent state.
1: Yeah. Right. So, yeah. But this is more like hmm. s- someone is someone is p- well positioned enough to get three letters. Hmm. So, of course, he gets a letter. This um, his Heiksen is his last name. I can't remember his first name right now. Um, the, the person who committed pedophilia. Um, he gets a letter. Um, from the prime minister's um, father so the the idea here is that what's what's messed up with this old system which I talked talked to one of my aunts about it um, over the weekend and she said what what really needs to happen is this system needs to go away because what's what it's doing is causing um, it, it is is disproportionately supporting people of a certain social status and also financial status. So what's interesting about this time that the Icelandic government collapsed is that it's not necessarily directly about money, but it is very much about power. And so um, the young woman who was raped almost every day of her life for 12 years um, came out and said that this was a surreal experience that anyone would think it was okay to ask for this pardon at all, that this um, man of, of political stature, Sveinsson, who was involved in the government for many years, he was also a representative, his family, that family, Saintson and Son, are the richest, one of the richest families in Iceland. Um, so she, she said it was, you know, it's surreal that this is even a conversation that's being had. And to further that conversation about power, Icelandic people... Um, as a socialist country who operated under Danish rule for a long time, they really don't shine to people who, who think that they're in charge or think that they're better than. And they really, really have a, a special sensitivity to the ideas about gender. There's actually a women's party in Iceland. So this is a, this particular crime is not something that, that Icelandic people are willing to forgive, as as and as a general rule, and this was th- these sorts of part, these um, you know pseudo pardons, these um, reinstatements of rights, they happen kind of quietly too. So this was something that was it feels a little bit backdoor. Um, it, he could have had his rights reinstated by the government, um, and and sometimes there is this real like you do like favor. Favor playing here. So, like, you Horse do this trading. favor. Yeah, exactly. You do this favor for my friend and get him a couple of his rights back. Um, and I think that's part of where this collapse is coming from within the Icelandic government. Um, that's why even like very, very liberal, um, parties, um, like the Bright Future Party, um, are, are kind of, um, f- taken, they're, they're taking a knee. They're, they're, some of them have resigned. Um, because they're afraid that that's going to get found out that they do this kind of backdoor dealing all the time and they're not willing to have the crime of pedophilia be the impetus for this um, and to be kind of associated with, with any a- attempt to um, forgive that, that kind of crime.
0: It almost sounds like it's a publicity issue because Mm -hmm. uh, because if you're, for example, if you're the person who's writing the letter in support of someone who's done a heinous crime, Mm -hmm. you'd think that like politically in America, that would be incredibly damning. Mm
1: -hmm. It is way better for these individual politicians in Iceland to say, I am stepping away from this government because it's messed up. Mm I'm, you know, some people that are resigning might be kind of taking that tact because they can come back in a few few years and, you know, they'd rather be all reelected from a place of, of, of all the cards being on the table. It's kind of hard for us to imagine. Right. <laughs> um, it's like it's way better for them to not stick to their guns, but to go hold on. And in fact, Sainson himself, the one who, who said he signed a letter that he didn't write, which is also kind of messed up um, for Hoiksen. um Saintson sort of said exactly that, that he, um, you know, that, or he didn't say exactly that. He said that he, um, really didn't think that hard about it. He's just known Hykson for a long time. He asked him to sign this thing, but now that he thinks about it, yeah, pedophilia is really terrible, and I shouldn't have helped out that, this guy. Is,
0: <laughs> that, is that like the Icelander version of uh, I, I, I smoked, but I did not inhale?
1: <laughs> like yes, yeah. I think it was. I smoked, but did not inhale, and now I realize it would have been bad if I had gotten high in the first place. Right.
4: <laughs> Iceland is not a large country. It's, you know, 350,000 people. Their parliament is, like, was it 63 Mm -hmm. members yeah so this is a pretty small group altogether, which which has led to some some pretty astounding drama uh you know apparently some members of the independence party resigned in august in protest of this but they didn't bother saying to anyone why they were doing it right so it's not a very effective protest no it Really doesn't. I think it's,
1: it's an internal protest. It's like it's like, hey, I'm not going to work with you anymore, kind of. But I'm not willing to. I don't want my personal life in this stall so just like explode right now.
0: And you see that in the executive branch fairly often, where mm-hmm. like uh, you'll you'll see like secretaries or ones like they will have a avid disagreement with something, but publicly they'll just say I have differences of opinion. I want to spend more time, more time with time my
4: with family. family.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but those people aren't
4: elected. You know, if my congressman said. Hey, I quit, but I'm not going to tell you why. Just going to spend some time with my family, and I turned out later. It was because I—I I don't know. You know, Nancy Pelosi was advocating genocide or something. Mm-hmm. I would be kind of upset at not knowing that about having this sudden vacuum and not having an opportunity there. Right. When it's just somebody who's you know secretary of whatever. That's different. So elections are going to be on October 28th, one day shy of exactly one year since their last election, which was a snap election caused by the Panama Papers scandal. And I look forward. We're going to do a lot on that because Icelandic politics are great. Their parties are amazing. And we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back.
0: Community to Community Development is your local grassroots organization led by women, people of color, and farm workers.
2: Comunidad a Comunidad es su organización local de base que es liderada por mujeres, personas de color y campesinos.
0: If you care about the food that you eat and having a fair and sustainable food system, you should partner with us.
2: Si le importa la comida que comemos y quiere mejorar el sistema alimentario, debería juntarse con nosotros.
0: You can call us at 360-738-0893, or you can find us on the Facebook.
2: Puede comunicarse con nosotros por teléfono 360-738-0893, o encontrarnos en nuestra página de Facebook.
4: Welcome back to the American Carnage Reports here on KMRE, 102.3 FM, Bellingham, and kmre.org worldwide. Uh, The Alabama Senate primary is this Tuesday, the 26th, to replace Jeff Sessions. Uh, This is the second round of the primary, and it's between Luther Strange and Roy Moore. Uh, Luther Strange is the establishment candidate endorsed by Mitch McConnell, Donald Trump, and filling that seat in uh, Jeff Sessions' absence. Roy Moore is the Steve Bannon, Sarah Palin candidate who is technically still on his term as a Alabama Supreme Court justice, which he was forced out of by informing Alabama judges that they don't have to honor the gay marriage uh, legalization that came from Doma's final overturning in 2015. Who are we rooting for here, guys? Oh
1: man, <laughs> so much—just a plethora of yes. <laughs> the bullet of <or> the nail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do you think, Robert?
3: Um it's one thing to to be to read a nihilistic um Flaubert novel that he, that wasn't published. It's another thing to to be in it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's
3: uh, a really good point. I'm for I'm for voting whoever wins out in 2019. Yeah. I mean,
1: I, mean, I don't know who we thought was going to be replacing Jeff Sh- Sessions like who the I don't know what we as a, as a country thought. Oh, it'll be so great, because that <laughs> same area will just have to vote for another person. And, you know, the same same group of people will just find new representation.
0: I mean, the perk of Roy Moore is that he's kind of a chaos candidate, which uh, has made the Republicans less and less effective the more of those have ended up in the Senate. For instance, the Freedom Caucus is basically been responsible for killing all those health care bills in addition to the moderates.
1: It's <laughs> funny that you say chaos candidate, because that makes me think about Get Smart and the chaos was the bad guys and they were all ridiculous. <laughs> And that's kind of like there's it's hard not to think about that. But that that helps. That makes me feel better because I can just imagine all of them as like like um, ridiculously evil people who kind of mess up all the time. Thank you.
0: They also seem to be notoriously hard to work with. Seems to be a theme. Whenever we get anti-establishment Republicans from the South, they Mm -hmm. tend to be people who are very hard to work with other Republicans because they ran on the idea that the GOP is incompetent at accomplishing its goals. Mm -hmm. So when they show up in Congress, they don't seem to be able to do much in the way of collaborating with the people they were trash talking before.
1: Right. It, I mean, an anti-establishment, anybody is going to yeah. be that way. It's not just the Republican. We definitely have some anti-establishment liberal candidates that could maybe potentially sometimes be hard to work with, too. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> I would agree with that, but I would also, like, if you take a look at Al Franken, for example, he ran as an anti-establishment Democrat, but he's gotten a ton done through amendments. Uh, Elizabeth Warren is another example of, again, an anti-establishment Democrat who has a record with amendments. But
1: did they criticize as much as these Republicans are, like, the whole entire system and every single person in it? Or was it, what, it <laughs> was like, it was more like, I'm not, I'm not a wonk. Well, I'm there's, not.
4: there's a fundamental difference there in that, on, on the left, there is less feeling of, you know, being in a, uh actual war because, I and I, I attribute this some to, we don't have the millennialist Christian ideology as baked in on the left right. as they do on the right. right. On the right, it is a battle between good and evil all the time, and there is a bright line between them, and if you're on the bad side, there is no working with you. Right. and for the
2: right the, there's multiple enemies there's the, the 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 state the federal the federal government is the enemy as well and that needs mm-hmm. like needs to be brought down not destroyed but but severely reduced mm-hmm. and so um they're mad at the establishment gop for not doing enough to tear down the institution of government and on the left it's it's more like well um you know, I, I actually think a little bit differently on healthcare and wish we were a little bit further out here. It's not that we want to like <laughs> put, tear down, like, Whoa. you don't have these multiple layers of, of enemy yeah, situations.
0: But you do have this, some of that same imagery. There is a uh, culture within the left where it's the it, corruption, it's the anti corruption Democrats, mm-hmm. is kind of how I would phrase them. It's that group that believes that the mainstream, repu- mainstream Democrats are corrupt. They take in corporate money and they dole out corporate favors.
1: Right, because of the system that they're absolutely be- functioning under. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's <laughs> and more no of a theme other other since
2: 2016 and the primary and, and kind of Bernie Hillary's issues. Um, and we haven't seen those, that level of, of left candidates running yet. Like th- that mm. might be something we see as a theme in 2018 primaries, but it hasn't yet like risen to the same level as what we saw in 2010 and on, in, in um, tea party style candidates,
0: and I've never seen it grind pr- uh, productivity to a halt in Congress the way that I've seen it on the right. So yeah. uh, I'll I'll take Obamacare for example. Oh, yes. There there was a large not large there was a decent swath of Democrats who believed that single payer and public option should have been the way we should have gone, mm-hmm. but ultimately they all voted for Obamacare. Right. That's not what you're seeing with Trump Care. Yeah. We still do a good job of having
2: a protest position and then going along in the end with the 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 majority of of our our party and there's a little bit of a fracturing there you know we we could talk about the the 2016 election but um i think i think you're right that the 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 republican opposition is more firm is is willing to let it all burn down and you see that with government shutdown and these other things it's like we're going to take our protest position and then like we'll let the whole system burn until we get our way and and it's
1: it's so my question is is it better for us to have someone like Jeff Sessions someone more like Jeff Sessions which is which of the two guys would be uh, so
0: strange is the establishment and
1: Roy Moore is the chaos candidate right and so is it better for us meaning people who care about the eventual direction of the entire government in the long game is it better for us to have someone like um, Roy or Russ? Are those serious? Is that is Roy or Russ? Those Luther. are the options. Uh, Lu- Lu- Roy or Luther? R- Roy or Luther. Luther sorry, yes. so, I don't know why I did that. So I would Roy answer that. With,
0: I would answer that with a question: Do you believe that either of those candidates would ever work with Democrats?
1: <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't know. I mean, did Jeff Sessions ever work with Democrats? Nope. No, no. that
4: that that ain't his that ain't his thing. And really, with think both that's of Alabama's these, thing. Yeah, I I don't see much help with either of these. The if Roy Moore wins. I think that the uh, f- the actual election that's being held in December against uh, a Democratic candidate, Doug Jones, mm-hmm. will be a little bit easier. But it's Alabama, so that means Doug Jones might pull 42 percent. Mm-hmm. So uh, really, this is, you know, going to a strange city's hockey game and rooting for injuries. There's, right. there's not a lot of victory here. Ooh, so w-
2: was there an appointment... And now a special election, and then a another special.
4: Well, this is there was an appointment of Luther Strange, um,
1: by the which is I just Bond villain, right? Bond villain yeah, yeah. name. <laughs> <So>
4: <laughs> the governor of Alabama yes, so strange. was in the middle of a really bad sex scandal, and his administration was right. unraveling. And
1: man, what, just the pace of news! Like I yeah. forget these things. Yeah.
4: And uh, uh, so, what? He wanted to do would be to appoint somebody to fill out the remainder of the term and have, you know, them sit until the next election. And so he appointed Luther Strange after some drama about whether or not he'd appoint himself. And uh, when when he finally left power, his uh, successor said, oh, no, we're going to have an election because they felt that was the... Correct, correct way to go, and probably is. That's a long. Yeah. that's a long time I, to have an appointed candidate.
0: I mean, I, I'm a, a fan fancy. of appointments being
1: temporary. Mm-hmm. So this is where the this is where the rally happened.
4: Yes, uh, earlier this week, uh, appearing at a campaign rally for Luther Strange, our president, had some strong words for NFL players. Yeah, I. I'm just going to kick to you, Marissa. Uh,
1: This week, America's sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot in chief continued to prove that those who voted for him because of his promises to end Obamacare or rebuild American infrastructure, address the opioid crisis, or return manufacturing jobs are going to continue to wait while he pursues an agenda of putting black people who exercise their First Amendment rights in their place. So as a candidate... Who was repeatedly praised for not being afraid of what to say, what he thinks. He sure doesn't like it when other people, especially famous people who are more eloquent than he is, speak their minds about how black men and women live a completely different reality than the one promised to all Americans. Trump urged a boycott of the NFL this week on on Twitter until players stop disrespecting our flag and country, adding to fire or suspend. Um, giving new meaning to the phrase "bully pulpit," I feel like <laughs> I feel like he is just wasting so much time and energy on this. Um, if he was in some sort of dystopian version of my life, one of my female friends, I would say um, Donna. Um, you are really wasting a lot of your emotional energy on these things that are bothering you. And you have so much power that you are giving to the wrong things when you have all these other things that you should be putting your time and energy into. Um, That's good advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like he he needs um, a caring, affirming female friend <laughs> to just tell him what's up. The, Maybe they it could be Sarah Palin. Yeah, no. <laughs> so I just, I just wanted to... To, I, I did a little research because I do not like football um, for lots of reasons. We don't have to talk about it, um, but I don't like it. <laughs> but I did want to, to, wanted to kind of catch up on some things. So Colin Kaepernick, for example, I, I thought it was really interesting. He said that he chose to kneel to find a middle ground um, after he had sat for the first um, national anthem. He chose to kneel to find a middle ground against... Um, protesting against police brutality and um, the disproportionate incarceration of, of African Americans and respect for the American military. And I found that the kneeling um, has been really interesting. Michael Bennett was interviewed. Um, he is a Seahawk, I found out. I'll um, <laughs> he said, very oh. popular Seahawk. Yes. Yep. Is he the one that used to not talk at all?
0: No, that he was, rode a bike around the field. Oh, you know, okay. You're thinking of our uh, Rush. Marshawn.
1: Marshawn. I'm sorry. Okay, cool. Yeah. So Michael Bennett said, I'll protest the anthem until everyone has justice, until everyone has freedom. I'm not protesting the flag. I'm trying to honor the freedom of America. I'm trying to honor justice for all, which I thought was great. I also, and um, that's, those are our, that's just the football. And then the whole basketball thing that's been going on has been really interesting as well. And
0: there is a time-honored tradition in in our history of athletes, Using their position for political purposes to yes. to uh, to forward civil rights. Muhammad Ali. Yeah, I, I I think of the uh, the sprinters. Uh, Tommy Smith and Olympics.
3: John Carlos. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This, this doesn't feel that out of the ordinary, which is why I was, I was kind of, I felt it strange that everyone got up in arms about this because I went, this is normal. This happens every cup uh, regularly.
1: Does it, has it happened in football as much though? I'm just wondering if this was like the last bastion of white dudes watching (laughs) war games. Well, and like, <laughs> no, I'm kind of like, like, has yeah. it happened as much in football? Does anybody know?
3: It hasn't happened anywhere near as much in football as it has in these other things. Um, I um, the 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 two things that I would add to um, what to to what you eloquently said is that um, I was doing a little bit of research and I was for the first time watching uh, NFL preview shows, and you know. They are talking about the hundreds of people that were – of of players that were um, planning to either sit and protest and entire teams that were planning to sit and protest. Mm -hmm. I think what Trump did was – Kaepernick, a lot of people, you know, had support for Kaepernick, but it was an abstract thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, for a lot of nfl football players when donald trump phrased it as as a warning for Mm -hmm. people not to get uppity he made it so he made it so viscerally personal Mm -hmm. and that old enduring hood proverb don't talk about a brother's mama oh no (laughs) what (laughs) they're like the the whole son of a Yes, yes. Yes, like mm-hmm. don't, like, like, just like don't go don't there. Don't call someone an SOB. You don't call, no, yeah, don't, yeah, don't get, talk about brothers' mamas. I mean, see. it seems like
2: there's, from the um, owner's statements, coaches' statements over the last uh, two days, there's sort of a, a universal pushback um, against Trump. You're not seeing any owners siding with, with him. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, well, this
1: also—I mean—I think that he's picking up on this is also a protest of specifically of Trump. Like, it's not just about these uh, larger systemic issues. Like, some of the reason that people I think are are glomming on and that people you know they're starting to be more white allies and and in some of these um, teams who are are also supporting is because they they're specifically angered about Trump.
2: But, the, but my my worry here is is Trump doesn't lose by there being more protests right and he he knows exactly absolutely right he knows exactly what he's doing and he's getting the result he wants he he is he wants he actually is smart here in that like he is rallying up his base exactly how he wants to because there's there's more protests happening more football football are doing that and the the racial tension is going to get worse and it it makes his base make him stronger
0: Right. And he has to do very little in order to do it. He just has to show up and give a speech or two or text. And just
2: fire off a couple well, more I'm tweets. Kind of and like, everyone is boi- – like the, this tension just boils up because he tweeted a couple times.
1: Right. I'm I'm sort of like, who should be doing the boycotting here? Like, <laughs> you know, like the majority white fan base or whatever. Like what would you do if there were not – you know, if, if there was the disproportional amount of black representation in football <laughs> that there is in so many other um, lines of work? It's like what if everyone said, you know, okay, actually – we're going we're gonna to take a knee for the whole game. Enjoy watching this game with not enough players in it. And,
0: and, and, and sports commonly put themselves in this pigeonhole where they, they appreciate minorities for their athletic ability. And then when it comes time to actually talk about their civil rights, they mm-hmm. like to look the other direction. Mm-hmm. But they kind of put themselves in a vulnerable position because when your teams are majority or mm-hmm. even half and ha- have a substantial population of minorities, they actually have quite a bit of power on that team.
1: Right. And I think that a lot of people are uncomfortable with the idea that, I don't know, like, you. it is a privilege to get to sit down on a Sunday or however many days it is now a week that you <laughs> people have to watch football. <laughs> uh, well, most people, but it's, it's just Sundays. it's a privilege Sundays. to sit down and turn your brain off. And and I think that, it, and, and to just, like, experience, you know, it's just, it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be about a game. It's supposed to, it, you know, it... it you if people are not experiencing equality and they feel like they need to to let to use their pulpit to let you know about it um you just need to accept that that information you just need to take 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 a minute to to hear them out is
4: that's been my struggle this year entirely because you know at the beginning with michael bennett's protest during the preseason every single time i'd start to watch a football game commentators that get into that i would be reminded that racists are unhappy that mm-hmm. they don't get to just watch brown people beat each other's brain to pudding mm-hmm. without politics being a part of it or anything counter to what they already believe mm-hmm. and i stop watching right. and now i kind of feel like oh now i have to watch football again and I don't know what, what's happening <laughs> there
2: was kind of an emer- <laughs> like the the if there How was this a- affecting Dave and it. <laughs> up until this weekend, the, the, the protest was going to be coming from the left, a, a sort of sympathy with the, the players who were kneeling. We're right. not going to watch football because they're not they're not taking this seriously, or because you know Kaepernick sort of has been blacklisted from from being hired, and so the left was sort of football audiences, NFL audiences, are probably traditionally a little more conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, I think in the last ten years. It's become a little more mainstream popular. The NFL has got a, a wider audience. Um, but it's interesting to turn, like, I don't feel like conservatives would. Would stop watching the NFL. It's, 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 I think they'll talk about it, but they're not actually going to like leave the
1: stadium. Yeah. I think they're sort of, sort of, they're sort of disinviting to to lead us into another topic. They're sort of disinviting the liberals from participation in this. They're like, this was our thing. We played, I really do see it as like, it seems like a mini battle that that football feels like a mini battle. You're gaining ground and you're losing. And, and we like watching this. It's like, there's a lot of militaryism, militarism in the, in the kind of, um, you know the metaphors of a lot of the things they say adversity a lot when you watch those games and so I feel like it, there I feel like I've never really felt invited to that party in the first place and I feel like there's this real strong like you're actually not if you care about social well, the, right so if you want to bring it into this this nat- national conversation the military
2: aspect welcome. of the NFL is no accident and there's actually a formal like money relationship mm-hmm. um, someone was saying that the. The players didn't actually used to be on the field during the national anthem. They used just be in their locker rooms, and mm-hmm. and that's only a, a thing in the last few years. Um, Come out here and you respect the flag and, and show your respect. And the the, um, the networks didn't cover the. the they, uh, it wasn't until I think this weekend that he, they even showed that live. It wasn't mm-hmm. they're you know they're running ads and doing their pregame coverage during that. And so the the like who stand who knelt conversation was more about on like online on social media with pictures after the fact. It wasn't. A part of the game but the the u.s military has really upped their um promotional campaign with the nfl in the last decade and you see there's a week every week every year that's around veterans issues and there's um the flyovers aren't just for the super bowl like they have helicopter plane flyovers like every right. for, at, at all stadiums not just at like the super bowl and there's like a pretty tight military integration with the the football from an advertising perspective
0: and and government has a pretty big tie into the NFL too in in the way and that's through the mil- that military connection but it's also the NFL is a nonprofit right it is shielded from all taxes it it's effectively government sponsored in its activities right
1: yeah and so to go on the disinvited um note I um I prefer basketball <laughs> I like basketball a lot. I miss the Sonics every season. I think of them. I have. I have. They moved to Oklahoma, where my family is, and are the Thunder now. And I have tried, but I just can't accept it. Um, uh, so I was really intrigued by following the kind of Twitter conversations about Stephen Curry. And I think it was today. Was it today that Le- LeBron James? Maybe yesterday. I saw it today, but LeBron James. Um, actually ma- put out a video to kind of clarify some of his comments that he made. But um, Stephen Curry, just as a to let people know, um, the Warriors were invited, as always, to um, the, the Golden State Warriors were invited to the um, White House um, to meet the president. It, I, I don't know. Did, did all of them say no eventually? Was it like everybody said no? M- most of them said no. They were
3: going to talk about it, but they leaned no. And like Curry Was 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 basically saying, you know, before twenty minutes before Donald Trump made his made his speech, he was basically saying we're going to talk about it, but you know, I ain't going to go.
1: I'm not going to go. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, (laughs) he was basically saying I'm not going to go. Yeah. And so um, Stephen Curry can't go. Says he's not going to go, and um, Donald Trump says uninvites him on Twitter, which is hilarious, and it's straight out of Mean Girls. If, If you haven't seen. The Trump administration explained through Mean Girls on the internet yet. I highly recommend it. It's extremely good. Google it. It's amazing. And and this is a a totally out of Mean Girls. You said you didn't want to come to my party, so I'm not inviting my party. So Stephen Curry said, I have no idea why he feels um, he needs to target certain individuals rather than others because he personally was called out by Donald Trump. I have an idea why, but it's kind of beneath the leader of the country to go that route. So he's implying that race has to do with why he's he's kind of focusing on Stephen Curry. But also Robin Lopez from the Bulls, which is my second favorite team, because I also spent some time living in Chicago, said, It's okay, Warriors, on Twitter. In a few months, the real Donald Trump probably won't be able to visit the White House either. <laughs> <laughs> which we can only hope is true. But um, yeah, I just... This just feels like a big – I it's interesting what you say, Mike, about how this is a good idea. Like this is a smart thing for Donald Trump to do because it – like kind of r- riling up his base. But I just – it feels like such an unbelievable waste of time and energy. But it also feels like a if it's intentional, which I don't think it's intentionally trying to rile up his base. I think it's intentionally trying to put certain people in their place, which is – black men who may have as much money as donald trump well that's he doesn't like that he does not like the, it when people have power or money or attention more than he does well,
0: he doesn't have a lot of places to go politically like there there is a swath of the left that i don't think there is anything donald trump can do at this point that will make them vote for him so he's really most of every he, he yeah a
1: whole half of the country
0: so he's pretty much stuck with the population of people he's got
1: basket
4: well, of people his popul- popularity <laughs> in the latest uh, Washington Post ABC poll has just jumped up to 39% so what he's doing is working
3: That's then, so upsetting and it's so um, and it's so congruent with my experiences and my paranoid brain and stomach. Yeah. Um, you know what Trump? I mean, when Trump was trying, when Trump, you know, just tried to do a DACA, what Trump is doing now, it's terrible. It's it's horrible. It's not a, a part of of a democracy that 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 I want to be in. But it also works. Right. And as somebody who you know, as someone who has more than his fair share of of opinions and more than his fair share of of, of pride in certain circumstances i can attuned to the hysteria that not even trump's base has mm-hmm. i mean that 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 people you know like they're I, without without judging people without painting people with painting a broad brush i mean there is a there is a sizable amount of America that has a that has nausea toward um, black people
1: that have the slight that that aren't that aren't meek. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's true, and it's and a lot. You know, I there's a certain I hear what you're saying about the the non base like it, this. There is a. An attraction to a lot of people, particularly on the right, but not exclusively on the right, to um, to telling someone to just like respect the flag and um, to and to putting black people in the, uh, their perception of what their place is. And I um, recently on Facebook saw a like fa- an old family friend complaining because she heard that her local craft store isn't going to be selling um, dried cotton stalks anymore. This is a serious conversation that my aunt like pursued with other people on Facebook that she can't buy dried cotton stalks anymore to decorate for her her fall decoration display. Like her, it's decorative, it's decorative gourd season y'all. So (laughs) she can't buy cotton stalks, um, in the South anymore at the Hobby Lobby or whatever, because they're too political. It's too political to sell dried cotton, and that's what sh- the assumption she's making. Right? This is not somebody who I've ever heard have a conversation about race or think out loud about race, or and and her first response seems to be, "This is all re- getting really ridiculous," and so. The, it's easy to target these national figures who are trying to th- trying to make a serious point and say, "Oh, they're just ruining the fun of my Sunday," and they're making they're making all of this. They're making all this stuff political. They don't have to make.
0: And companies don't help that. Usually, they they have a long history of of when something is going poorly in their business, blaming something external, which I see as more human than corporate practice. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take responsibility for what's going on, so I'm just going to blame something else for it. Well, right.
4: I want to I want to stick on those themes of ridiculousness and blaming other things. <laughs> Robert, you shared some thoughts earlier this week with us about uh, some protests happening at Reed College.
3: Yes. First, some caveats. I <laughs> um I I don't think that that I don't think that all student protests are horrible. Right. I don't think that that uh, uh, like a lot of people who go on social media. I don't think that it's only happening to quote unquote, quote unquote, quote unquote, white conservative professors. You can, you can, you can look at like the Muslim scholars that, that was, that was banned from going to Liberty University. You could talk about the alt-left Catholics who are in, in several colleges who are protesting, um, um, uh, LGBT, um, scholars who are going to their, to their colleges. That said, I think that, um, to, the only I I'll just be blunt. I I am not on a team. I think liberalism works at its at its best when it's when it's when it upholds the verities of dialogue and discussion and debate. Listen and, uh, and listening and understanding. What happened to those colleges is is not is not a liberalism that that I want a part of. It is a liberalism that I have a tremendous amount of critique for. What happened. In re college, is that a professor wanted to teach the classics in regards to in regards to problematic figures like Ovid, and wanted to quote unquote have discussions about them in regards to the problematic aspects, saying that saying that these saying that that some of the aspects in regards to these classics in regards to um, in regards to racism in regards to sexism. Um, th- she, the professor, was not. She was. She was not saying that these, that racism and sexism, were good things. But the, she was saying that these were. These were things that were of their. T- that 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 were that were there, and that 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 were part of the part of the culture and part of the culture now, and that that it was that it is something to discuss what it meant. At the at at the t- at the time that these classics were 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 were, were written, and in response, <laughs> Reed College um, har- harassed this professor for several months. Um, the college, the administration, not not, 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 not the administration. Uh, forgive me, students. Right. Okay, like um, uh, an array of students, you know, like harassed her, protested her, um, pro like like protested, um, her 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 class would go to her class and scream obscenities, would go to her to her to her um. Would go, to, would, would, would go to her office and scream obscenities just for the fact that she was teaching the classics.
1: Like, Even though it was like racism and sexism in the classics. In the classics. <laughs> this, is,
0: this has kind of been an ongoing conversation at colleges because often colleges will bring in... This usually comes up with speakers rather than academic content. Right. They will bring in a speaker that uh, is not is not of the mindset of the college community as a whole. It's provocative. It is provocative. And this usually goes down one of two ways. Either the the school and the population is so adversarial towards the incoming speaker that the speaker withdraws from coming, or they show up and there's a protest. Mm -hmm. And... I find it frustrating because I am a big believer in in free speech. So even if what the person is saying is provocative or even offensive, even if you're inviting someone as a speaker who is going to be racist sometimes on stage, I think it is valuable because you will be exposed to that in when you get out of college. So I think learning how to confront, resist or interact with speakers that you don't agree with, I think is a life skill.
3: I I think that like we have talked several times on, in regards to speakers who have crossed the line where they have doxxed um, um, immigrants or incited violence. That is one thing. I think that in regards to the protesters, in which you are talking about, on which were certain 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 speakers that you know who I who I dis- vehemently dis- disagree with, I think that the protesters need to grow a dead spine.
4: You know, one of the articles, the students protesting the woman who made the movie Boys Don't Cry was kind of especially galling to me because...
1: Wait, what? Wait, because yeah. what? This, Wait, this that woman, movie made my dad cry.
4: <laughs> it's a, it's an excellent movie. And this woman who, who made it was protested because she cast Hilary Swank instead of a actual trans person. Like and 10 years, 15 years? How
1: 1999. old 1999. Is... Yeah. And, and so she herself... 18 years ago. Yeah, Got it. She cool. herself When you is... were all in to- toddlers, great. <laughs> <laughs>
4: and she herself is a lesbian, but not trans. She is cis. And I thought that that showed, I mean, not just, there was obviously overreaction error, but a fundamental ignorance about the history of, the movement that they were supposedly standing up for. And it's really galling to me. I mean, college is supposed to be the time where you get to have bad ideas. You yeah. get to explore bad ideas. Well, one
1: could be protesting the director of of Boys Don't Cry. <laughs> that's
4: and that, and that's the idea. place for, for the this. Reason. But I really think that this is an opportunity for a lot of those folks to learn something about this, the struggle that trans people have gone through. Well,
1: I'm also con- – I'd be really interested to find out how many people in that group were trans and how many identify as allies too because, like, do, like did did the trans people all show up and say, you know what, um, I have some hard questions for you now retrospectively and want to have those conversations? Or did they say, you know what, you never had the right to tell my story and you were in the wrong or is that the conversation that's happening with with allied people who as a person, as a white woman, um, as a white queer woman, I feel like it's important to to check in with the people that I am trying to be an ally for every <laughs> once in a while and say, am I doing what you want me to be doing? <laughs> is this cool? Do you want me to I, I recently had a meeting um, where I was like, do you want me to help or shut up? Is, and I was like, I, because we keep going back and forth. I think what I actually want to know from this group of people, it was a meeting the, the, with a group that represents people. Of color. Do you want me to help or shut up? <laughs> and they were like, in this case, we want you to help. <laughs> and I was like, awesome. I would have been okay with the other answer.
4: That's about all the time we have this week. I wanted to take a moment here, Robert. You're not going to be with us for a couple of weeks. Where yeah. are you going to be?
1: I'm going to be at the
3: University of Michigan and at the um, um, at, at the University of Detroit. And, if they let you speak. Uh, yeah, the, the, I, I hope so. Um, um, I'm at also at the uh, the 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 Death Rattle Rattles Festival, uh, promoting this bad boy. It sold a thousand copies up south. This is the radio. Uh, we can't see it. I'm um, sorry,
1: um, I'm, just, um, I'm a hoodlum. <laughs> I can describe it. It has a beautiful raspberry uh, yes. color background. Is it available um, at Village Books?
3: Uh, yes, it, it is. Um, you can c- contribute to the Robert Lashley Pizza and Weed Fund. <laughs> Thank you, Robert. And thanks to
4: all of my guests, our fabulous engineer, Sharon Mannix. Uh, thanks to Gay Marie and the Spirit Museum of Electrical Invention. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.